Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. Hi, it's Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. The title of this interview is called Unknown Secrets About HardToFindSeminars.com. Audio marketing secret student Charles wanted to use his consulting time to grill me on the lesser-known secrets of my site, HardToFindSeminars.com, and he's definitely done his research. He asked me questions I've never been asked before. So in this interview, you're going to hear me explain all about the back-end ideas I get on my audios and why why I don't always reveal the last name of the people I interview. I also talk about how I've been burned on JV deals before and which ones. And Charles even asked me about the hours of the Vincent James audio I'm sitting on that I can't release because of a deal gone bad. So I'll tell him exactly what happened and how you can avoid the same thing. We also talk about why I prefer to sell business opportunities instead of skilled training and why some of my systems aren't selling as well as others. I I also reveal what my website traffic looks like and what kinds of people buy my products. 90% of my sales come from only four countries. I reveal exactly how I control my joint venture commission deals so that I won't get burned again. You'll hear why I don't market my information products to big corporations, even though they'd easily be able to afford my prices. You'll learn my lesser-known stick strategies for reeling in customers and bumping up products. You'll learn why I've never done any on-site consulting and how that affects my business. You'll learn why I've changed my views about physical products versus digital ones and ideas for marketing your digital products so that they have a higher perceived value and much, much more. Charles is an information hound who loves to know every last detail. And since I'm not the kind of person who holds anything back, this interview turns out to be one of my most candid and revealing ones ever. Enjoy the interview. First question I had was, you had recorded the audios naturally over time with different people, and naturally your viewpoint had changed. I wasn't able to get a timeline perspective as when what things were recorded, but your viewpoint on digital products versus physical products. And I know that ultimately in the end, the secret is to put out a quality product. If you don't put out a quality product, it's coming back. But putting that aside, giving that as a given, what's your current viewpoint on digital versus physical and why? My current viewpoint on digital products is I love digital products because they are so simple to deliver. I mean, if someone sends me $297 or 597 or even 1500 and I've produced a product and it's on my site and all they need is a username and password, I just open up my browser and I have a document in Notepad that delivers.
delivers the thank you letter, the link with the username and password, and I send it and I am done. Now, I compare that with the physical products, which any digital product can be turned into a physical product. And I did physical products, and the reason I was doing physical products is I believed that by shipping a physical product that I could offer more value because it is a physical product, but the main reason was that I can reduce any kind of returns or refunds. And I've tested over the years both. And the fact is, if someone wants to refund your product, whether it's physical or digital, they're going to do it. Yeah, you may get a little bit less refunds with a physical product for the factor that they may forget to get it to the post office or they have to pack it up or they have to find a box where you make it a little more difficult for them to ship it back. But it's probably pretty minute. And I haven't tested it scientifically, but overall, my experience is if they're unhappy with it, they're going to refund it, whether it's physical or digital. So, first of all, it's very expensive to inventory physical products. You've got to get them printed. You've got to get the three-ring binders, but when you're doing a CD set that has 40 different CDs and costs you $1.50 a CD and you have DVDs involved and you have covers and you have the cases and you have to inventory it and you have to pack it up and you have to ship it, that's if you're doing it all yourself. It's a pain, but it wasn't that hard, but if I'm comparing digital to that... For maybe a few more returns with digital, but me not having to mess with any inventory and any duplication and any printing and any fulfillment and any mailing, digital wins hands down. So my view has changed. I was more into physical because of the reasons I thought it would reduce my refund rates, but now I put more value on my time in making my life easier and going with the digital versions. Do you have any issues with the perspective of value? I know that several people, marketers, even myself, rightfully or wrongfully so, sometimes I will put a higher perceived value on a physical product. I maybe like to hold something. I'm afraid I'm going to lose the password. Is that an issue? What you've described to me, I completely understand from a fulfillment perspective, but what about on the initial sale to get more for a physical product? You know, I've sold physical products and I've sold digital products at the same amount. I think when it comes down to it, if the person really wants the product, I mean, are they really buying a physical product? Are they buying CDs and tapes and paper? No. The results of learning the product will do from them. That's really ultimately what they want. But you may be right. I'm sure there are people who would appreciate a physical product because it makes their life a little more easier so they don't have to burn CDs or they don't have to go to the Kinko's and print it out. But you can make up for that. I'd rather reduce the price a little bit, and I've used this as a rationale when selling a digital product, I could say, I used to sell this product for 1500 bucks, and it used to be a physical product, but I don't do that anymore, so I'd be willing to offer you the digital version at $12.99 or $11.99 or $9.99, and what you can do is you can use some of the savings, because I'm not offering it as a physical, and you can take the PDFs and go take it to Kinko's and print them out and have them put that in a three-ring binder for maybe 50 60 bucks, and then you'll have your physical products. I turned a lemon into a lemonade and give them incentive to get the digital product, but because it's so easy to deliver that product by sending an email, it's okay to take less money. That's my take on that. Number two, I've got an interest naturally being based in Japan in terms of international marketing, and I haven't really seen that many courses in the past that target international marketing or if you take it from an import-export, which isn't strictly marketing angle. I haven't seen a lot of seminars on that. 
you being the hard-to-find seminar man and talking to a lot of people, are you familiar with any material? I know that you had a single audio with a man that put together a resource for international import that's very, very large, and that time I remember going to it, but are you familiar with any products that might target what I'm looking for? Yeah, I'm really not, but I'm sure they're out there. Now, E. Joseph Kosman, you've never heard him speak and talk on anything? I have not. Well, go on eBay and do Joseph Kosman and keep it as a search word, and I'm sure it'll come up again. There'll be stuff. The only thing that pops up from time to time is somebody has a book with a black cover. How I Made a Million Material. Yes. There is a guy, I think he's with one of the direct marketing associations who has the rights to resell his old course. You know, he's dead, but the son's alive, and the son is sitting on a warehouse full of his old seminars. They're out there if you really want to find them. But he was just a master. I mean, he was a real seminar promoter, and his course on mail order covers a lot of import-export stuff. I don't know how relevant a lot of that is today. Now, I do remember when I interviewed the guy with FITA, F-I-T-A dot org, that huge portal for import and export guys, that would be the source to go to, but I am sure there's got to be as many courses on import and export out there. Maybe you haven't found them, but I'm sure there are courses covering this topic. I don't know of any specifically because I'm not into that, but they're out there. What's the individual from FIDA? Was that your contact for Walmart doing the 42 CD Walmart, or is that a different individual? Yeah, that FIDA interview was one of the free interviews to promote the Walmart training. So that's on the Walmart series. You can find it at walmartgold.net, or there's a link from my audio clips that take you to the Walmart recordings, and you'll find it. Okay, great. And that leads into number three, which is I haven't really seen that marketed on your site. You know, your site is so deep in material, Michael. I've just overlooked it, and you've just given me the URL, walmartgold.net, which I will check into. But I haven't seen that. The issue I have on that one, you said that you both created the product together. You had the knowledge, and you had the ability to make it happen. You each took a license, and I believe in the details you mentioned on the tape was that you were not allowed to sub-license to anybody else. So it's my assumption that two licenses are only available. You have one, he has the other. How do you handle the issue of pricing? How do you maintain the price? And part of it could be that there's only two licenses. That was kind of a unique negotiation. Basically, I traded my time and expertise in producing this course. He had the outline. He was the expert. It must be a 20-hour actual course. I had promotional interviews. We had a sales letter done. He did his own sales letter. And the truth is, I haven't sold one of them. Now, it's mostly my fault because the only thing I've done is had those promotional interviews up, and I had the sales letter for a number of months up there. And even with the promotional interviews, I wasn't getting any interest, any feedback. There may be a market out there. I don't think the market is within my website. And what we did is we agreed to start at a price at 3900 bucks. That was going to be the price of the seminar. That's what we started. So months went by, and he promoted his. He sold about 10 of his. He really did some active promotion. He had some magazine advertising. He did some promoting to his list, and he sold about 10 of his. And then I approached him, and I said, I'm just really not getting much action. I never did a direct mail test or went to a targeted list. I produced a product. There was a lot of effort put into that, and I did make a little bit of a mistake in misjudging what we agreed to in our contract was. You see, with Richard, you notice on the HMA stuff, if there's any questions I have from consultants, Richard was there by my side to help me talk to him. He was there for my HMA University when I could do a teleconference. Richard would come on any of the calls. Even though I was selling the product and I was making most of the money, he was there to support my students. 
students. Now, in our contract on the Walmart thing, he had agreed to that, but when it came down to it, when someone's going to spend 3900 bucks on a Walmart product, and I'm not the expert, he's the expert, that student is going to want to have access to him, and he's going to want to talk to him, and it didn't work out that he was really willing to do that. His thinking is, well, why should I help sell Michael's guy when I've got my own version of the product? Do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. There was no incentive for him to help my people, and I didn't realize that going in, even though he had agreed. But that kind of put a damper on it, because I know with my HMA system, just about everyone who orders, they want to talk to me. They don't necessarily want to talk to Richard, but they've heard Richard in hours and hours and hours of the interviews. And I do have about two hours of an interview with him on Walmart and then other experts. But it was a combination of wasn't generating the interest. The lack of support on his end with my student was going to put a damper on it and a combination of me really not putting the effort into it. But the product's done. The masters are done. It is a great product. It's ironic because I had a guy today, probably one of my most serious prospects, this guy named Frank, emails me today. He goes, hi, Michael. I am meeting with Walmart buyers first part of next week, and I'll get back with you then. I think you have a great program, and I need your advice on how to grow our business with a big box retailers. We may bring you on as a consultant or partner. What are your charges, by the way? So he had seen some of my preliminary audios, and I go, well, if you're getting ready to meet with Walmart, I emailed him the Walmart recordings and the information on the sales letter, and I go, I'd advise you, you should get this course before you go see those buyers, because there's a lot of incredible advice in those courses and how to position yourself, understanding the buyer's psychology. So there is a market for this product. I just haven't focused and put the time, but the hard work is done. There's no other course on Walmart like this. I think it's timeless, and I think when the time's right, I'll do something with it, but everything's done. I just haven't pursued it. What about the pricing issues? I mean, from his perspective, if you go out and dump it, I'm not saying you would ever. No, no. In our agreement, we agreed. I don't remember if the price was 3900 or 3500 but we agreed to start the price at that, and we agreed that we could not undersell each other price-wise. So then I approached him. I said, hey, can I test this Walmart thing at a lower price at 999 And I got him to agree to that. He had no problem with that as long as... I was going to do a special offer where I was going to offer the $3,900 Walmart product at $999 if you become one of my HMA consultants or if you do this. But I never got around to it. But we have an agreement. We have to communicate with each other, and we cannot undercut each other. Does that answer it? That answers it for me. You said on another audio that you had done a very, very long, at least nine-hour interview with Vincent James and that you weren't able to actually come to an agreement to actually get that product marketed. Do you not go into these recordings knowing that you have a deal in place, especially something that long, or did you just have enough of a personal desire as a student to ask questions to the individual? Yeah, combination of both. I definitely had a personal interest in learning everything I could, so I jumped at the opportunity. Our first agreement was that we were going to do the interview, and I was going to endorse his 12-month millionaire product. But as I did the interview, and I learned more about him and his legal situations and his legal challenges and some of the stuff that he was and wasn't supposed to be doing, I was concerned about marketing his product. And I did 
didn't want to get into a situation legally where if he wasn't supposed to be promoting his product in the manner that he was doing, I thought that it was a legal risk on my part. So I made him an offer, and I was going to promote his stuff, and he wanted to drop ship the books. He wanted to handle the drop shipping, and I said that I wanted to handle everything all at once, so he wasn't willing to give up control of the drop shipping. I wanted to make sure that if I marketed his product, I wanted to make sure it got delivered. I didn't want to have any customer service problems or anything like that, and I wanted to have control over the whole product. And he, at that time, wasn't willing to give up the control, and I did agree with him that I wouldn't do anything with the recordings without his agreement. So I did all the interviews, and we just weren't able to work it out. And I've emailed him over the years saying, hey, I'd love to market this product, and I think he got bad feelings because I wouldn't release all the MP3s. I still have control over the masters of the MP3s, which he didn't get. I never gave to him because I never gave him the rights to use them. So we couldn't work out our agreement. So it was a great experience and a good negotiating experience, and maybe sometime we'll be able to reconcile, and the product's done, and it's a great product, and I'd love to promote it because there's a lot of great lessons in there. But he went on to do the same thing. He did like a six-hour interview with Richard Brunson, I believe it is. Another marketing guy. So he took my idea to do these intensive interviews and then to sell that product, and he made a lot of money doing this. So he got his word out, but unfortunately my list was never able to benefit from it. I understand. What about international visitors to your site, Michael? I know that you have interviews with people like myself that are based outside of Japan. Do you have a lot of people in terms of percentage numbers? You know, I know there's marketers that have got visitors from 75 countries. You know, they've got one from each country, which isn't real substantial. What do your user stats look like? Do you have a lot of international traffic? I'm going to tell you, I do. I'm going right into my AW Stats program, and they've got all the little flags, and they tell me exactly how much traffic from everywhere. Let me just take a quick look. Okay, here. This is actually just for this part of June, okay? So the United States is number one, and I'm looking at pages viewed, which is 57,617 from the United States. And then you compare that to second is something called unknown. So those could be search engines or robots or whatever. But then there's Australia, which is only 2,117. So you compare U.S., 57,617. Australia is only 2,117. Then you have Canada at 1,447, China 1,405, but if I go down the list, just about every somewhat modernized country goes to my site from China, European countries, Great Britain, Netherlands, Vietnam, Germany, South Africa, Spain, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, 158 visitors for the month of June so far. That's your actual traffic, Michael. How about in terms of a customer base? Customer base, yeah. Like myself? Okay, good question. My best customers are the U.S. number one, then the U.K., U.S., U.K., Australia, Canada, those are my main countries. Japan, once in a while. France, almost never. Singapore, never. Switzerland, never. United Arab Emirates, I've had a couple sales, but they're few and far between. 90% of my sales come from the U.S., Australia, Canada, and the U.K. I understand. I know that you use the Articulate Presenter for, I believe, the presentation that I saw was maybe Richard's system that you're marketing on site. Personally, I use that with my students. I'm using it in Japanese with Japanese students, so I can only judge from what I've seen. 
How about on your end? I know what it can do, but what's the feedback you get from that? Have you had any technical issues? Any feedback you give me in regards to you actually using that? Okay, the use on it, people seem to like it. I think it's a great little program. It has a lot of great features. You can attach files. You have email. You can click on it and send a portion of your presentation through email. thing is, I don't actually put the presentations together. My wonderful assistant, Diane, she does it, and she learns how to use it, and she creates the presentations. I just tell her what to do. And I do remember there was some technical stuff that was frustrating with it, but nothing major. And the feedback I get from the viewers is pretty good. I think there's been a couple cases where people have said they couldn't get it to open. They may have been on maybe a Firefox browser or something, and you click on launch presentation, and it wouldn't launch. But for the most part, I think it's done really well, and it seems like a great tool to integrate audio and video. I'm looking at your wild form, so tell me about this one. I'm at the site right here. How does that compare? What do you think? They're slightly different. They both export material in Flash. So Flash gives you the ability to show your content to the vast majority of people on the web. So they both export the same type of material, Flash, so it's viewable by pretty much anybody. Articulate Presenter is just a presentation software that you're going to be dumping your PowerPoints into. That's all it does, but for what it does, it does extremely well. The layout on that is extremely good in terms of the interface. It's very, very easy to use. It's basically a one-click to get the presentation out. Flare, it can do the same thing. It has a lot more power. You don't have to have any programming background. Flash, you can buy the actual Flash program from Adobe. You're going to have to have a lot of know-how. The learning curve is very deep. That's going to give you a large amount of flexibility, the largest. You have Articulate Presenter at the far right, which is only going to do your PowerPoint presentations. They have other plugins now where you can do quizzing and what have you. But for the most part, it does one thing and very well. Wild Form is in the middle, probably closer to Articulate Presenter. You don't have to have any access to the code, but you have a lot more flexibility. You can have the ability to do screen captures, kind of like Camtasia, so that's a portion of it. So if you want to show somebody, for example, I think you were doing demonstrations with Goldwave, and you can actually capture your screen, the mouse movement, and show people how to use it. That would be one part of it. You have the ability to do exactly what Articulate Presenter does as well. You can dump your PowerPoints in there pretty easily. You can encode video the best quality in there, the same company. I believe it's called Wildform. They have, I believe, the top video encoding. So if you want to put your videos in Flash, you can do that. So you just have a lot more flexibility. And one of the key issues there is price. It's extremely cheap. $2.99. I'm looking at it right here. I'm all about tools. There's just so many great ones out there that you just don't know about them. That's the thing. Sure, and this is a very good one. The learning curve is very, very small in terms of the actual power that you can get out of it. Oh, I like that. Okay, well, thanks for that. Yeah, but Articulate's pretty pricey, and we just didn't see another option at that time. There is not, and for what it does, it does very well, and if you're going to be paying for the training of somebody, it's a good way to go because the training is virtual nil on Articulate Presenter. It's basically you hit a button and it does it all. So if you figure in the value of training somebody to do it, you figure the value of their time to actually put together the presentations. If you're outsourcing it, maybe that's a different issue because you're not directly paying for it. You are indirectly, but Articulate Presenter is expensive on the front end, but very, very cheap in terms of the usage of it. How about interviews? And actually, I know that there's a lot of things technically that can go wrong. Is there any other reason other than technical that for some reason you haven't been able to use 
standard. I know in the Vincent James case, you didn't have a contract in place beforehand, but is there anything I can learn from you things gone wrong? Other than any technical issues in the Vincent James example, I can't think of any instance that I have been forced to not using an interview. If I have their agreement and we're on the phone and I get their agreement verbally and I'm doing the recording, and if the interview comes out well enough that I choose to use it, then it's going to be published unless I change my mind. But I'm just trying to think. There's been no legal thing except just, you know, our agreement, me and Vincent James. I agreed not to do anything with it without his permission. So, no, I can't think of anything other than that example or the example that I chose not to use it because it didn't come out good. Technical issues, one thing that I would definitely stress is make sure you're on a hardwire phone. Still, there's some cell phones that will come in loud and clear, and also you want to be, in many cases, on a direct line. Like, I've done an interview. It was a great interview, and it's so unfortunate that I called into the main, like, you know, you call into an office, and then they'll transfer your call, and you're in an office building, and sometimes, because of the way it's transferred, it sounds fine, but when you play it back, it was awful. So that was a technical issue. So you want to try and be direct line to direct line. Not through a transfer, not through a phone card. What about the idea, I know, Michael, that some of your users on the interviews that you've done have mentioned it, calling into like a teleconference line, because in that case you always have a backup at least of the audio, but then again, you're giving up maybe potential quality from an understanding? Well, you know, I've been surprised that some of the teleconferences I've had for the HMA students where I recorded digitally from my end, these services didn't have the service where they would record the teleconference call. There are services that do that and you do want to make sure and check the quality. You want to see what bit rate or what megahertz they're recording at. Do they provide it to you as a WAV file or an MP3? You want to know what the quality is going to be, but that's still great to have as a backup if you're calling into a conference service that will record it and send you the recording and at the same time you're doing a recording at your location. You've got two recordings especially if it's a valuable interview in case one messes up you've got a backup. That's always smart to do. My Sony recorder has been pretty reliable There's been only one incident which I had a backup. I was doing a two-part interview with Carl Galletti, and the very first part it recorded, but for some reason it's never happened since then. We got about an hour's worth of recording. He was recording on his end, too, thankfully, but when I tried to dump it off of the Sony recorder, it went all the way at 99% and just stopped and got stuck. It wouldn't export out of the digital player onto my computer, and I called him, and he sent me his digital version. So we were okay. I'll move on to number nine then. We just talked about putting together a system that you did for the Walmart. That's very much a system that teaches somebody to do something. There are some systems you put together which are more like your consulting package where it's actually a revenue generator for people, and I would assume that those generate more revenue than other products. For example, I know you market some more general ones. I haven't purchased them, so I could be incorrect, but like Clyde Bedell or Glenn Turner or the contract book. Am I correct in my thinking? I'm sure you know the selection of the topic is probably the big number one, but can you tell me in terms of choosing the topic, is that system a really key variable? I believe you can sell business opportunity type educational products where it teaches someone how to make money in a skill rather than just teaching the skill itself. You know, I could sell, and I've done it before, I could sell, there's a section of our HMA system, which is a group training where Richard's just taking a 
a room full of businesses through the HMA system on how they can use this information to grow their own business, and they get a set of manuals. I could sell that set of manuals and the DVDs, and I have in the past for a thousand dollars. But I could sell for six thousand or fifty-nine seventy. I could sell a person a business opportunity on how to become a marketing consultant, how to go out and generate income year after year doing consulting, how to get clients. What's that saying? Feed a man a fish. You feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish. Feed him for a while. That's the difference, and there's value in that. You teach someone a biz op that can show them how to make money for years on end. That's more valuable than just teaching them the skill. That's been my experience. But look how much effort. I mean, if I just focused on one product, you know, the Clyde Bedell product, even though I don't control that product and I have to buy that product from Barry Bedell, and I don't make much on that. I'm kind of like a retail store. I maybe double it in price. So that's not going to be a good way for me to go for my time invested. So I'm investing my time in the thing that's going to have the best success and the stuff I'm more passionate about and the business opportunity and teaching someone how to be a marketing consultant is my main product on the site. Over time, Michael, you have evolved, and up until now, the image I have, right or wrong here, Michael, that you target the average guy. From my experience in the past, oftentimes working with the company, a corporation, doesn't have to be a huge corporation, but often they have the budget to pay for some of these larger packages. So for a company to spend $5,900 on a system is nothing. That's oftentimes pocket change. So I understood where you started from and where you are, where you're evolving. If you were where you are now with the left know-how and expertise, would you still target the same group of individuals or would you target a higher-end clientele or a corporate clientele or what would you do? Yeah, that's a good question. There's probably a lot of things I should be doing. I probably should be targeting, and I could take anything I'm selling and just direct the marketing and target to these type people. I just haven't. You know, I have the website and I have traffic coming to the website. The traffic being generated is coming from all over the place. I have an idea. You know, a lot of my traffic are business owners. I've got a pretty good cross-section from new marketing students to seasoned entrepreneurs and business owners, probably some management of corporations and stuff, but I haven't targeted the HMA stuff or really any of my products to these corporate-type businesses. And I probably think instinctually, you know, red tape, longer sales cycle, not dealing with decision maker, committees, and that doesn't attract me. I can understand that. That's probably the underlying reason. You have a system in place. I'm sure it depends on what the purpose of your interview is. If you're just trying to get content out of people, if you're trying to get a direct sale on the back end, sometimes you don't give the last name of the individual. Hey, we're going to talk to Bob today. And there's really not even a lot of credibility builds up as to what company or what Bob is about or where he's from. I would assume that probably you have some sort of a back end deal with Bob and you're trying to control the lead flow. Why don't we just flip the question right there? Is that a true statement? And if so, how does it actually work in reality. I know on one of the audios you said that you control a 1-800 number and that you're going to get a copy of the call. It's going to go through. And I have two questions tied to that. A, as just a customer calling in to Bob trying to get some advice, I wouldn't want my call recorded. I would want to know why. And then the second one would be that's the initial call, but what happens if they start to do email negotiations and they have a direct call? Ultimately, if somebody's going to screw you, for lack of a better word, is it not? 
not going to happen one way or the other. So I guess there's the credibility issue of no last name and then in reality how well you can track it. You bring it up, and I really never thought of it as because not having the last name reducing the credibility of the interview. I mean, I kind of always felt that the interview would stand on its own and the information provided is really what the listener wants. I just think, why does someone need the last name? Knowing what the last name is, how does that give the interview even more credibility by just knowing the last name? The only thing it does do by not having it, it doesn't allow someone to go into Google, type the last name, and learn more about it. You know, I did all this work, hours and hours of marketing, promotion, endorsing to my list. But if I, and I did this, and I had a relationship set up where we had a joint venture. It's got to be based on trust. Anyone I sent over to him, I was going to get paid for. But that didn't happen. The fact is you just can't trust everybody you have a joint venture with and just trust that they're going to pay you on what you agree. And so when I had a chance to redo it again with Richard, with the Internet, it proposes a new problem that we never really had before. And I had to come up with an idea of a way to control the flow of lead. If I'm going to invest thousands of dollars, time, production, post-editing, and creating the marketing for a person or for a system that I don't control, I want to make sure that I have a way of tracking it. So my idea was to leave the last name off and in the interview process leave any clues of you know where the person came from. So I had to be careful in the description. I could still provide wonderful content, which was the real reason a listener is listening. If you want to listen to questions and answers about how to be a successful marketing consultant, that's why you're listening. Really, you could care less who the guy is. You want the information. The only reason you want to know who the guy is is if he's got more information. If I've piqued someone and done my job right and generated enough interest that they want more information, they're going to have to go through my little tool booth or my phone number to call them or a website that I control so I can track that initial lead. And so when it comes back to getting paid, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. There's a joint venture I have with a guy who provides services for people who want to establish corporate credit. And I've got a great articulate presentation with him. We don't reveal his last name, but we go through a very compelling presentation on how to establish credit in the last slide of the presentation, at the end of the transcripts, at the end of the recording. It has, for more information, call, and there's a phone number. And so all those calls are controlled through my phone number, and the calls are recorded. Now, I don't think it's any big deal. Some people will hang up because it's a recorded call. But if someone's really qualified and really interested, people call businesses all the time, and they hear your call may be monitored and recorded for quality assurance. They're used to that. So I don't think that's a big negative thing. But if it's a qualified person, he's listening to that presentation, he picks up the phone and calls, that's because of my marketing effort, time, money, resources in doing that, and I have an agreement with them, I want to be paid on that lead if I have an agreement. So I now have a way to go through, and this is a true story. Once in a while, I'll go into my call log, which I use as call8.com. I'll pull the number up. I'll pull all the incoming calls from that presentation, and I have my assistant call the people back. And she just introduces herself, says, hey, this is Diane. I know you had called on March 1st about the corporate credit. Just wanted to know how that's going. 
I'm not kidding. I have found like four customers that I've referred over to these guys that I was never paid on. That's the answer right there. That's the answer. You're making a follow-up call and you just, hey, trying to take care of you. Protecting my interest, my investment. That's the piece that I didn't hear in the other interview. You can track it to the very end. You're just pulling random from time to time and asking those people directly. That's right. Make the sale or not. Now, if you're doing a real small product, you're making 10 bucks here, 15 bucks here, that's fine. But if it's in something $500,000 on a referral, you know, chunk of change. You, know, you better believe you want to protect your interest. I get very few comments about it. Once in a while, hey, what's Richard's last name? I say, I don't give it out until you become an HMA consultant. The only reason I ask, Michael, and to be honest, just personally, the content is key. I can judge if it's good content or not. That's the issue. But, you know, if you have a testimonial, if it's like AK in New York. No, no, I see what you're saying. Now, I agree. I do probably lose a little bit of credibility. Yeah, I probably do. It's a give and take. It's a balance. And we have to remember, and this kind of leads into my next question here, that these are not always just true interviews for the heart. I mean, we have to eat, we have to make money, and what have you. So it's not Larry King. I mean, nobody's going to go on Larry King with a black box you know, around their head and how we're talking to Bob tonight. But then again, you know, that is a strict interview. And some of them are for raw content, and then some of them, of course, they're made as sales presentation, a lot of good content. But ultimately, you know, we're giving a lot of time and know-how, so we have to eat as well. But you've got to think, go back to Larry King, and let me tell you, when... Larry King has a guest on, you better believe there's something to sell. There's a reason people are on Larry King and there's a reason people are on Oprah. And all of these TV shows, they are either selling a movie, they're selling the book The Secret, they're selling a foundation. There's always a back-end reason why they are giving their time up for that interview. Oh, definitely, definitely. The thing that I would maybe argue on that, though, Michael, is that the interviewee, definitely, they have an agenda, a movie, a book, a seminar, what have you. But I could be wrong here, Michael, that the actual interviewer, Larry King, I trust him that he is not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Compensation. Yeah, that would be different. That would be different. Yeah, certainly my business model, I do have interviews where I am an affiliate, I'm affiliate for different products. Not a lot of them, but a handful of them. You know, I'll be honest, a lot of my interviews are designed to sell stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, but then there's some interviews that I promote other people in and there's no compensation on the other end. It's just because I want the value of a great interview. Sure, and your interviews are fantastic, Michael. They're always great content and whatever is on the back end, I have no interest in whatsoever. You know, it's just a very good, pure content call and a fantastic site. Thank you. In terms of HMA, in reality, when you go out there, Michael, to be honest, I'm just doing consulting within the university environment. And it could be that I'm here in Japan, but oftentimes the ideas that I bring that are Jay Abraham, Richard's type of ideas are often... I guess very difficult for people that haven't been schooled in that particular type of thinking to understand on the surface. I have to really go back to the basics, I guess. For example, if you and I were to do a deal, we both have a good fundamental understanding of the concepts. So things go pretty smoothly. What do you find, Michael, when you go out there and actually give the advice? Are people generally pretty receptive to that type of thinking, or is there a challenge even on the fundamental level sometimes getting that across? 
there's always a challenge. You know, with the consulting, you've really got to fit on the right person, and it's got to be the right time, and he's got to be willing to do something about it. I think that's the number one challenge is getting your message to a qualified prospect, someone who's open to receiving the message. I think if they're ready to grow their business and they're experiencing challenges and they're open-minded, I think you can explain it in a way you've got to bring it down to their level. If they're not educated and they don't understand back-end and joint venture, and if you start talking those terms, back-end, joint venture, cross-selling, stuff like that, you're going to blow them away. You're going to be talking over their head. you got to talk in terms of more sales, less hours, and then you show them how to do that. For example, you gave the example earlier that when Richard took Jay Abraham's ideas out to the marketplace, the idea of contingency just did not work. It's not for Richard. In general, are there concepts like that, or is it tough to actually implement some of those things from the pain point and all of the fundamental components? Yeah, it can certainly be a challenge. With what Richard teaches by selling project work, where you get paid up front before you do the work, that makes things less challenging. With what Richard was going out and doing when he was first trained by Jay, you heard it, if I can bring you an extra dollar in your business, would you be willing to pay me 25 cents and you don't have to do anything, that creates problems because he doesn't have to do anything. He's got no money in the game, no skin in the game. So that's where your challenges start. He's not committed. If you get someone who's committed and he's listened to your idea and he's given you $1,500 to develop a USP, you've got his attention and you know he's put his money where his mouth is and he's going to want value for that money and you're going to be able to work together to develop that USP. I think qualifying your prospect is really key and they have got to put money down for your services. Otherwise, you will have all kinds of challenges. Does that help answer it? It does. My question probably wasn't phrased real well, but I know what you're trying to say there. What about the follow-up to that same question? I know, I think in the past, you did a cheese interview. Yeah, the string cheese guy, right? String cheese guys. You being based in San Diego, I don't think they were in San Diego. No, they were in Wisconsin, I believe. Are you able to do a lot of things over the phone, Michael? And I know if you're doing Internet marketing, it's a non-issue. In terms of just a general business, non-Internet type of business, how much of it realistically can be done over the phone versus how much actually you need to be on site from time to time? Well, I've never done any on-site consulting. All my consulting is done on the phone. But it all comes down to the consultant's positioning. I'm the consultant, and I'm going to set the criteria, and I'm going to position, here's what I offer, and here's what you're going to get, and here's how I operate. I'm the expert. So if I'm approaching a client, I tell them the criteria. Even Jay Abraham, you know, when he was doing consulting, he was real strict about He didn't like flying or doing interviews face-to-face. He did a lot of phone work, all by phone. So a consultant or someone doing consulting can approach prospects, but he needs to let his prospects know exactly how he operates. And if the prospect doesn't like the way he does and the prospect wants that face-to-face, it's just not going to be a match. But I believe there's so much business out there and with the technology today and the phone and the facts and these presentations like Articulate and what we talked and digital cameras, it can be done. I'm confident it can be done halfway across the world, yes. I had a guy, George, the tanning bed operator in Canada who I never met, and we did consulting for a number of months, and I wanted to see what his place looked like. I had him take photographs to get an idea what it looked like outside, what it looked like inside. I had him take photographs of his employees just so you can have a visual idea. You know, with photos and videos, 
There are some differences. You don't have that face-to-face contact, but if that prospect is on the same page as you and he wants to make more money and he wants to save money, he'll appreciate the fact that you're saving him time and you don't have to bore him with all these meetings. He'll appreciate your efficiency by using the phone in tools that save him time, I think. So it's all in positioning. I'll say that. Sure. I think that's what it comes down to, the way you position yourself, the way that you set it up. Going back to the tracking, I know that you have the system worked out with a phone number, which I understand from start to finish now. What about the idea I had? And I've seen other marketers use it. Definitely not an original idea by any means, Michael, but using an online equivalent of what you're doing. For example, my site is ABC Marketing. You would set up a site and it's like Go ABC Marketing or something, some derivative of Mm -hmm. my site or domain that you actually control, Michael. Absolutely. That's something I learned about not too long ago. It's a wonderful solution and a wonderful idea. You set up your own domain name. I'll give you a perfect example. There's an interview I've gotten a couple places on my site on cold calling with a guy named Ari. I did the interview anyone interested is welcome to get a free report and I used to direct people directly to his site and I was having some problems with commissions and I changed it and wanted to get a better control over it and I set up my own domain name called painfreecoldcalling.com which I owned the domain name. At the end of the interview I would direct them to painfreecoldcalling.com and then I have the website domain painfreecoldcalling.com redirect with my affiliate link directly to his site. So I can track it. I'm still getting the affiliate code in the redirect and you control the URL. What are the advantages or when would you use that versus using the telephone to referring to? The reason I did that was because in the audio interview, I don't think I had a phone number with him. I said, for more information, call Michael Sinoff. So I think before I had that, I didn't want to say go to and give his URL, right? Because right. I didn't want people to go to his URL. I wanted to go to my affiliate link. So on my site, you had people who would maybe listen to the audio online, then read the description online, and then it would say, for more information, go here. But what most people do to my site, they come to my site and they download the stuff and they're just listening. They're not really reading. So they're listening to the audio. So I couldn't say at the end of the audio, for more information, go to his site because I wanted the referral. I wanted the affiliate commission. So I needed a site to give them something that would redirect to his site. So I'd say, for more information, go to painfreecoldcalling.com. Boom, it would redirect them to his site, and then I'm good. Other than saying, call this number, because I didn't have a number forwarding to him. He was in Australia. Even though he had a U.S. number, I didn't set up a number with him. And you're just giving me an idea. For any products that you're promoting, you should really have both, especially if you're doing an audio, and give your listener a choice. You can say, for more information, call this number, which could be a call eight number you control, or go to www. and you have the URL of the site that you control redirect to them. I've seen marketers in the past, Michael, where they say, hey, for my listeners, I've put together a special value, a special discount, or what have you. Please go to goabcmarketing.com or painfreecoldcalling.com. Maybe give them a special bonus call or what have you. But it seems that to me, until I learned exactly how the phone system was operating, that to me seems like a little smoother approach. But then again, it's just in theory. It's not something I've actually done. But maybe it's a combination of both. 
On the call eight, Michael, are you having a specific phone number for each and every product that you're selling, or do you just have one account? Or no, you have one account, and on your call eight account, you can get numbers for two bucks a month, and you want different numbers for each product that you're promoting. You want them separate. Let's say the corporate credit. Okay, so I'm going to call. You say call 1-800-555-9999. So I call in on that number. Am I just directed automatically to the other person? They pick it up a lot? Yeah, what I do is I ask the joint venture partner, I go, what's the phone number that you have your prospects call in on? And so on call eight, I can have a call forwarding feature. So let's say you're calling that 800 number that I control. I'll put a call forwarded number, so I'll have that call go directly to his corporate offices. I understand. The key there is not really the conversation per se. It's just that you have a record. I have a caller ID of the record. Yeah. You can make your follow-up call and just say, hey, we're just trying to provide some customer service. How did things work out? Can I help you in any way? That's the key that wasn't understood. That's correct. Gotcha. What about in terms of commissions? I've heard it said many times here, Michael, from you. Me being in academics, it's something I don't see as often, but I keep hearing non-paid commission, non-paid commission, and I know that you can't trust everybody, but is it a serious, serious issue, Michael, for you often? Not getting paid? Yeah, it is. I have to tell you, Charles, it is. You really have to approach it as a business, and it's tough. There's a lot of people out there. They're disorganized, or they don't honor their word. Overall, I've been real disappointed, really, over the years in different joint venture products where... I expect to be paid based on my efforts. In many cases, there's problems. And unless you have a way to control it and you're willing to exercise that control and make the callbacks and get after it, you're going to be out some money, that's for sure. Then it gets frustrating and you're like, I should just control my own product and you don't have to worry about it. back to the toll position. That's right. It goes back to the toll position. That's exactly right. In terms of keeping down refunds, I know the number one answer is put out a good product. Are there any other stick strategies you use that might be helpful? for me to learn from on this refund? Yeah, there's one I use with my audio marketing secrets. I have a soft offer where currently it's at two payments of $97, so you don't pay anything for the first 30 days, and only if you're happy do you keep the product. So you have 30 days to review the product totally free. After 30 days, your first payment's due, and you're committed to the second payment. Or if it's three payments, you're committed to the second and third payment. So at that point, you've decided to buy the product for however many payments that you agree to. One stick strategy I use is I offer a free consultation, like you're taking me up on it now. For instance, I don't know if you saw this on the Audio Marketing Secrets, there's bonuses. You get a 30-minute one-on-one consultation with me. You get email support, and then I'll also review anything you're doing, a couple other things. I forgot what they are. But I explain in that letter, if you choose to take me up on the consultation and you want to bypass your 30-day trial, email me, and in the subject line of the email, write bypass, and that'll give me all authorization to charge your card immediately, and then we can do the consultation. And that works a lot of the time. So you want to get them in and prove that you've provided value, and if they want to talk to you, they're going to accept the agreement, let you charge their card, and you're in. That's one nice technique. But again, the number one thing is just over-deliver, over-deliver. The product is very, very solid, Michael. I give it to you there. Very, very good. How about the consultation, Michael? How many people actually take advantage of that? I have a friend that has a product he markets out of Canada, and he was telling us the numbers of actual 
Most consulting usage are minuscule. Yeah, they're probably 5 to 10 percent. That surprises me. Maybe I'm just a questioner. Maybe uh, I come from an academic background, mm -hmm. but I find a lot of the true value is the one-on-one -on -one time that we have right now. I welcome it because it allows me to build more and more content. I really like them. And the 30-minute ones aren't so bad, even though we're going over 30, but you've got such good questions. It doesn't matter to me. But I've just edited three additional consults because I just did a little promotion on the audio marketing secrets, and I'm just piling up these consults, and each one has something different to offer. You said that when you finish an audio, Michael, and I assume when this audio is finished as well, I know the audio editing process that you go through and the transcript creation and what have you. You're going to put that up on a site somewhere for me, the interviewee. And you give them the option to edit things out, Michael. I think I heard you mention that in a couple of the audios. Do you tell them that if there's certain things that you don't like, let me know and I'll cut those out? And so have you had things that people don't like? Generally, there's never a problem. Generally, they probably don't even review it and they just yeah. say, yeah, that's fine. They don't even want to listen to themselves. And that's fine with me because I wanted the interview. But there have been cases. I've had someone review the interview and said, let's take this out. Let's take that out. And I've done it. But it's few and far between. Most of the time, you'll do the interview. You say, here it is. I just need, you're okay. And they say, go for it. It was fine. Because they know when they did the interview how it went. Right, right. I'll pull a couple questions out, just things that you mentioned in passing with people that you talked to that were part of the bonus audios of the Audio Secrets course. One, you were talking about Google Answers, which is a fantastic service that I use all the time. Were you able to find somebody to find where you can actually view yellow page ads from different cities? Michael, you said you had somebody getting close. Wow, that was a long time ago. Because that's something that sometimes I have a need. I don't think anyone ever got back with me on that Google answer. But you know what? I know that's out there. I'm positive. Those yellow pages are on the net now, especially now. They're there. But I don't think anyone from that Google answer got back with me for a definitive answer. But I would say they're out there. I was just looking for the easy approach. <laughs> yeah, I don't know of it. What was the question? I wanted a resource where I could research all the yellow pages worldwide and look at their ads. Not necessarily worldwide, but at least for the individual cities. So, for example, somebody's a chiropractor, and I would like to see how chiropractors mark themselves versus chiropractors, how they market themselves in San Francisco. Yeah, I want to see the actual scan of the ad. Yeah, I don't know for sure. I'm going to guess it's there somewhere. I just don't know. I'm guessing as well, too. It's just matter of if you find it let me know will do what about in terms of you go through a tremendous amount of material here hard to find seminars I'm sure you've seen pretty much everything there is to see Michael and I know from my background there's certain products that I felt were very well put together and really made me a better marketer have a better understanding of things and of course you pick up little nuggets from here and there and what have you but are there some core courses Michael that you've experienced over time that really stand out and if so what might those be well, you may not be surprised to hear this. I really have a hard time going through these courses, at least the reading part. I am an audio guy. I'm probably like an ADD guy, and I can devour audio at a high rate, and that's the main way I like to learn. Rarely do I sit down and read through an entire course. I'll give you an idea. I was part of a book promotion to help this guy's book get to number one. I was like one of the joint venture partners, and I was one of the bonus gifts, you know. So I was giving away the know-how of where to get 117 hours of audio recordings, which would be my site. And it was great because that guy's book did get to number one. He had about 108 partners do it. It was a nice experience. And one of the bonuses for your $10 book was to get 100 hours of downloadable audio, and this is audio other than mine. So I went ahead and paid 10 bucks for the audio because I can go through a lot of audio content and I always like learning from all these other guys. And I downloaded probably about 30 or 40 hours of the audio 
with interviews with Ken MacArthur. Ken MacArthur. So he had a lot of older interviews, not too old, but some interviews that I've never heard. And I downloaded them onto my hard drive. There's a new piece of software that I'm going to be getting involved with with the creator. It's called FasterAudio.com. And you may like this. I don't know if you're listening to audio at higher speeds. Have you ever listened? Actually, we talked about that. I'm the guy that sent you the... Oh, yeah, you sent me the GOM player. Okay. Not the player. I showed you a way to do it another way. Oh, on the Windows. Yeah, Windows Media. Okay, right. The beauty of the Faster Audio is that you can actually dump it out to an MP3. Yes, it's great. You can do that in Windows Media. Yeah, you can convert it and take it with you. So you can load up Faster Audio with 10 audios. So I loaded up with 10 audios, converted them at 170%. Yeah, I went down to the bay and... been running a lot, so I did my hour run, and I had about three or four of the interviews on there, and I just blow through those things. That's how I consume information, listening to audio on the road. If I'm exercising, I'm in the car, I'll burn a CD. That's when I'm studying. When I'm here working in the office, I'm not really studying. I'm operating my business, handling emails, doing stuff like that. Whatever you're interested in, there's information out there on it. And however you like to digest that information, whether it's reading, audio, or video, just get it and digest it and you know, study what you're interested in. That's what I would say. Great. I think that's, that's pretty much it, Michael. I've pretty much worked my way through the questions. I really appreciate it. Quite a bit of value, and I hope it's a value to some of your listeners as well. It is. These are great questions. A lot of them I've never handled, and I will do my thing with this. I'll clean it up. I'll edit it. I'll get you a version of it. I'll do a description on it. I'll get a headline written. I'll send it over to my editor to start doing the pre-editing on it, and then pop out on the other end will be another recording on Michael Sinoff and information products and with some great questions, because it's the questions that make the great interview. You provided a lot of great advice. I really appreciate the time, Michael. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for getting up so early. Now it's almost 7 o'clock for you. It is. So what are you going to do? One in the morning. I'm going to go walk the dog. You're going to walk the dog? Walk the dog. Very good. Okay, well, you have a great weekend, and thanks so much for your time, and I'll get all this to you. That's the end of my audio interview with Charles. I hope you've learned a lot from it. If you're interested in more about how I use information products and how I increase the value in information products and market information products using digital audio interviews, go to hardtofindseminars.com or call 858-274-7851, and I'll show you how to get a consultation like Charles.